Jim Joyce is not here. I honestly have no idea where he is. We didn't catch up. Um, I'm a little bit uh, concerned here. Uh, I am sure he'll chime in and dial in uh, into the Zoom. But anyway, so it's just me today, um, for now at least. And uh, without further ado, I don't want to spend too much time. I think it's a big day um, for digital therapeutics um, industry. We have uh, Big Health uh, just raised 75, Peter Hames, um, uh, Wheel.com. Uh, Michelle, congrats. Uh, but again, I will leave it to Health Tech Talks. Damn it, Jess, Matthew, I'm sorry. Health Tech Deals, the new rename. So uh, congrats on that renaming. With that said, you know what? Um, I'm gonna just uh, let Alyssa in. Alyssa Jaffe joining us. Alyssa, welcome to the shot. Hi, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, we we met face to face, believe it or not. Uh, you know, at HLTH briefly uh, in Boston. Can you believe it? Not to you exist outside of Twitter. I it's I know it's crazy. Um, and this is a first. By the way, you're kicking off season nine of the shot. Um, and I was gonna say with us, uh, but I Jim is MIA. This is the first time in almost ninety episodes. So. I know they just went public recently as a company, so there's lots of stuff going on, I'm sure. But uh, hey, it's you and I, and uh, Jim will join in as, uh, as it comes. So typically, Jim and I kind of talk about very few deals and things that are happening in the industry. Um, so before we do the intro, um, or before we go into that, I actually want our many listeners and viewers uh, to get to know you, who you are, a little background, and Jim just texted he's joining in. <laughs> so, I'm worried about him, so I'm glad. I know, I know, I know. Uh, just, uh, you know, this is meticulously produced. Uh, we are recording already. Cool. All right, so um, start, start with, first of all, uh, I'll buy some, ourselves some time. Um, so we had the pleasure in the eight seasons, we had... Garber, who I know you and I are trying to get more Twitter friendly, um, we've attempted. Uh, we had the pleasure of having Lee on, um, and now yourself. Um, so I think next we'll probably ask Seven Wire to sponsor. No, I'm kidding. We don't have any sponsorships for the show. Um, so um, all our people, I love it. Yeah, just need Glenn yeah. now. We just we just need Glenn, uh, but I know you guys have some other awesome peeps. So we'll you know. Uh, depending on uh, how far and how long we go with this, uh, the shot. So um, anyway, let's not wait for Jim. Why don't you get started? I'm sure we'll get interrupted with him joining in and brushing his hair, but uh, give us a little background and, and to our viewers, who is Alyssa? Your background. Sure. sure. So I'll give my professional and maybe a little personal. I um, uh, professionally, I'm one of the four investing partners at Seven Wire Ventures. We can talk a little bit about our fund, and I'm happy to share more for us and our focus on digital health. And it looks like the man, the myth, the legend is joining now. Yes, you made it. <laughs> I, was, I was nervous for you, Jim. Nervous for you. Oh, man. man. He, was, he was genuinely worried about you. So, <laughs> you see the, the fire truck in the background here. So, so, Elisa, absolutely pleasure to meet you. And can you hear me? Okay. 
Yeah, I can. Yeah. Okay. Great. So I, I knew I wanted, I wanted Eugene to kind of warm up the conversation a little bit and kind of get it going. And, and as a true entrepreneur, let's massage this a little bit and make it <laughs> what it needs to be. So perfect. So, so, <laughs> so perfect. Alyssa so literally just, just started introduction. Yeah, awesome. of course. Of course. So I'm operator term investor. So I used to launch enterprise technologies. I did solution selling, managed teams for the advisory board company, if you both know them, based out of DC, mm -hmm. who later sold to Optum. Uh, spent a lot of time there, loved my experience, and then left to go to business school, went to University of Chicago at Booth, um, where then I started transitioning to the investing side. So I worked for two smaller funds, and then I did start my own company. I raised a small round, about a million bucks for that company, but definitely had the VC pitching experience. Ended up um, transitioning to that board. We sold that company. And then I went more institutional investing. So I went to go work for the Pritzkers, for JB, who's now governor of Illinois, mm -hmm. his brother, Tony, about 8 billion AUM, three asset classes. And then just over three years ago, left there to join the seven wire team as one of the four investing partners. Awesome. I personally, I live in Chicago. I have two boys. Uh, we live in the city. I'm actually expecting with my third. So, you know, life is crazy over here and uh, we're, we're running full steam ahead. And, and did you, are you finding out the third? No, no, no we haven't you, found you, out you... for any of our kids. Yeah, man, it's, it's <laughs> okay. 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 It doesn't matter. I, you know, I, is, this, I, is this our first expecting guest? Yes. <laughs> yes. 85. This yeah, is really well, special. Hopefully not the last, um, <laughs> but uh, it's been great. You know, I think um, for, for me and just uh, there's, there's very few times that we actually get to be consumers of some of our companies or um, you know, yep. and, and in many ways we don't want to be right. We don't want, you know, many of our companies focus on severe mental illnesses or material chronic conditions. And so and this is one experience where I can very much relate as a consumer, but also uh, think about it as an investor. And it's a pretty interesting yep. experience to go through. Yeah, I mean, so, it's so the real I was following. Sorry, Jim, go ahead. No, I said the real question is, is, you know, what's Rob like to work with? Wow. <laughs> I literally, no, I'm, I'm I shall never partially tell. late for this meeting. I blame Rob. <laughs> you should. It's, it's always, it's Robert's fault. So he's such a pleasure to work with. We have a fantastic team and we're a small team. And I think for us, that's one of the ways and the reasons we function so well is we all have known each other for a really long time. And we've just, we have personal and professional relationships that we really trust each other. And um, even before the pandemic, we were all traveling so much that we were very comfortable making decisions remotely because of the relationships we had built. So it actually allowed us to ease into the pandemic a little bit um, more seamlessly than I think most folks yeah. were able to. I, I wanted to kind of double click on one part of your experience where you said you raised a million bucks, you kind of got to learn, you know, the pitching to VCs. What was your, yeah. what was kind of your takeaway from that experience pitching to VCs and how your you know, now in your newer role or in the last couple of years, how are you adjusting to that? And what was that experience like? Sure, sure. It's so interesting to pitch to folks who now are colleagues of mine, right? Um, right. And I think 
For me, I actually, um, when I transitioned to venture, I did write a, a blog post called Lessons from the Dark Side about my experience raising capital as an entrepreneur and um, and then transitioning to the venture capital side and just the two different mindsets that I had. And to me, the, the biggest learnings, first of all, is just having empathy for the process, right? Where um, you think about your business every single second of every single day, you both know this. Yeah. And yeah. with VC, I think there's a, a way for the, that VCs can portray um, their line of questioning, their knowledge that doesn't undermine the fact that you've probably already thought about it. And I think one of the biggest frustrations I had as an entrepreneur when I got asked questions or I was suggested things as if I had never once thought about it, as if the <laughs> business I had built and spent every day thinking about, yep. um, it just happened to, to cross their mind. Yeah. I don't, I don't think though, at the time I really, um, gave credit to what is pattern recognition. And it's, it's hard to see, you know, when you're building one thing versus we constantly on the venture side, see folks building thousands and thousands of companies, there is a very different perspective. One isn't better or worse. It's just, um, I think a lot of it is about messaging and how as a, as a, an investor, can I communicate some of the learnings or some of the, the insights I've seen because I have breadth and not depth anymore, right? right. Somebody yep. who has the depth and doesn't have the breadth. So um, ultimately, I, I'd say probably 90 plus percent of the folks were great. There was definitely a lot of people, not a lot. There were some people who um, I wouldn't do business with again because of how I think they treated me as an entrepreneur. And you know right. what? This business yep. is long and life is long. And at the end of the day, we're all people and that we care about just being treated with respect and we can all disagree, right? I can think that you have an amazing business, but not invest for a hundred different reasons. But my job is to make sure that you know that I respect the work that you've done and what you've built. And hopefully you respect my position that not every company is going to be the right fit for me. Frankly, very, very, very few of the companies that pitch me are amazing. Right, right. It's a tough, the dynamic. Go ahead, Eugene. Um, no, I just started to say, um, you know, there's, it, it's not that there's an aversion in the word pitch. I mean, it's a normal world, but like, to me, we're all human beings and whether you're selling something, you're conversing, you're trying to solve a problem, it's a conversation. Right. And so, um, I, uh, I get the whole pitching component, but when, um, like literally, you know, if you meet a VC, like I've had this couple of pitch to me. Well, it's not about a pitch. Let's have a discussion on what we're trying to build, how we're trying to build right. it, how we've thought about things and not thought about things. And we can still do that in that 20, 30 minute period, but it's forget about the slides, put them away. Let's just have a discussion, right? Um, as, so that's kind of a little bit of a premise uh, on this. And uh, it sounds like you kind of went through some of that um, when doing the million bucks raise. Yeah, I, I feel like it's... Um... The, the balance is, can you be a really strong storyteller in a way that right, doesn't feel so artificial? And someone's saying, pitch, mm. like, go, go, dance for me, right? Like, it's just, <laughs> you're like, whoa. And instead. And hey, we do what we got to do. Yeah. We got sometimes we yeah. gotta dance, we dance. <laughs> Sh- shuffle, <laughs> backflips. That's how you raise capital right there. Yeah. Um, no, but I think that there is, there's an element of, 
some, the other extreme where some entrepreneurs are so wed to the deck that they have to tell the whole story. Right. You only have 30 minutes. You're going to spend two to four minutes on people joining Zoom, shooting it. So, okay, (laughs) I have 26 minutes and they go for 24 minutes straight. And in reality, what it should be is, hey, let me tell you our story and my story, maybe in the first five or seven minutes. And then I'll pause and then we can dive into any place that you want to go. And it's, it's really difficult. It's challenging when you live and breathe a story every day to take yourself out of it and recognize like not every piece of the story has to go on the upfront. It's like in an interview when somebody says, tell me about yourself, right? Right. Can you tell a very cohesive, compelling story that doesn't take up 24 minutes to tell (laughs) your story? And by the way, we live long lines. Right. Right. No, it's a trick. Like I, I think, you know, one of my kind of lessons and I just learn more and more and I get taught it. And then sometimes I violate the rules myself. Um, but it's what Eugene said is, is, you know, I'm talking to my team that's describing our product. I'm like, we're not selling anything, you know, so we're not selling anything. Just go in and, you know, describe the product, describe who you are and see if they want to talk about it. You know what I mean? If they, you know, like in, in kind of look for, and then really quickly ask them, you know, once I described it to you, do you think this fits into what you're trying to do? Or, you know, you see a place for it or, you know, tell me where you want to go with it. And if you get to that, it's like magical because then you, and it's like, I think it's trust, right? It gets the trust. It's a trusted conversation versus I'm going to spin something to you. I'm going to trick you into something, you know, on either side, I'm going to trick you into taking my capital or I'm going to trick you into buying my product or investing in my company. Whereas it's like, you know, it's, it's a foundation, right? Listen, we're we're all... yeah, no, I, I, I will just say I, I love storytelling. Like, I think it's so powerful and particularly in the investing side, like this, this isn't, this isn't even selling a product, right? This is a marriage. This is, you know, this is, you're looking for someone who's going to sit on your board for five to seven years. And so the dialogue that you have is very different. And many entrepreneurs, I think what they forget is the VC isn't in control and shouldn't be in control in that conversation. It should be the entrepreneur, right? You should be asking impact questions. You should be guiding the dialogue. If a VC takes you off course, bring them back on course the yep. same way you do in a meeting. Um, and a lot of that sometimes gets forgotten just because of the nature of like how you're supposed to feel in a, in a pitch setting. I, I was going to add um, a little bit, and I, I remember this discussion Chrissy Farr started a while back on like people were asking how to pitch a, a journalist, right? And kind of you can equate pitch a journalist, pitch a SVP somewhere, pitch a VC. At the end of the day, we're human beings, and it's not about pitching. It's being helpful. It's, you know, it's putting your best forward to help individuals because, you know, VCs, you guys have LPs, you have commitments, you also need to deliver how can we as an entrepreneurs help you as a VC as well to hit your milestones and goals as long as we fit into it, right? So it's 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 a conversation and journalists are human beings, VCs nice are human beings. It, but at the end of the day, like it's not, a, it, it, what I'll say is like, we'll be fine in that no, I, I want to, you know, know I, I, um, I don't want to make this about like the, oh, poor VC, we have to, to manage our LPs, right? I think that's our own. Everyone's got a boss, um, but, <laughs> yep. but I think you're absolutely right of having the knowledge of everybody's prioritization of everybody's interests, right? They're, they, the more you, you best understand that, right? The more you pitch to the right person, like 
Um, right. You know, I used to be at a very large generalist fund and I did almost exclusively healthcare. And, um, you know, a friend of mine did most of at the fund, one of my colleagues did mostly like industry 4.0. And if folks yep. reached to me, out to me for that, like I was the wrong person, right? Or you, we get pitched, like the other day, I got an, a LinkedIn message for seven wires, somebody pitching a real estate deal. And I'm like, <laughs> if you just read one thing I've ever done or the fund has ever done, right? So it, I yeah, think right. that there is a element of matching to optimize success too. Agreed. So we, before we let typically the, our guest in, um, we, Jim and I kind of touch on some of the deals and I actually want to hear, you know, today, I think we saw, you know, Michelle from wheel.com announced 150 mil. Um, so congrats. Uh, she's been building a great business. Um, Peter Hames and team at big health, 75 mil. And those are not even the really crazy numbers. And probably we don't know the valuation, but I don't think they disclosed it. I'm, really trying to get into VC's head where, yes, it's a multi-trillion healthcare economy. There's a lot to be squeezed, but you know, what are these, um, what are the entrepreneurs really signing up for? You know, uh, just love to hear not these specific two deals, but some of the larger raises um, and, and getting a little bit into your head and how you think about them. Sure. So I think you actually hit the nail on the head of asking entrepreneurs, what are you signing up for? And I think that the problem is a lot of entrepreneurs don't actually think about it and take advantage of the momentum, which I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but there's very different types of companies that you can build. And oftentimes on the path to building the megacorn, unicorn, decacorn, triceratops, I was like, what? (laughs) I just... Um, on that path, sometimes businesses outgrow people. And so the question is, are you trying to build that kind of a business? And okay, if the business outgrows you, are you trying to build a business for optionality, right? Where you could potentially build a multi-billion dollar business, but maybe it's also great to get acquired for half a billion dollars, which by the way, is a great outcome. And then if you go all the way to the beginning, as you think about folks even starting this journey and raising money, I always give this example. If a business sells for $20 million, if you you own a business and that's all for $20 million, you own 100%, $20 million, that is life-changing money. That would be an absolute amazing opportunity. I would be pissed, right? I, that that wouldn't wouldn't fly in my world, right? That would be a, a real letdown. And that's where our incentives aren't aligned. And so the real question is, why are you building this? What are you in this for? And it's not just capital. There's so much more that goes into building these companies. And so those that take big rounds, I commend them. I want them to have moonshots. The, the market cap is there. Like healthcare yep. can take it. We are growing. And this whole notion of like, you know, all these companies won't be successful. Maybe, probably, but we, we can build. We've proven, Lavango Teladoc, 18 and a half billion dollar businesses and counting. So I think we, it's there. It's just the question of, does it always have to be? And, and just because you take certain capital initially doesn't mean that that has to be the preferred path for every single company. Yep. In, in ha- when you are talking to these, like you talk about the preferred path, like 
like everything in life, there's a cursing and a bless to it. You know, what do they say? Like, um, you know, medicine is based on, um, you know, a, a cure, the difference between a cure and a poison is dose, you know, like, so we look at like, um, we look at the success with Lavongo, the success with Teladoc, which obviously, you know, your fund and your partners are tied into. Um, that's such an outstanding success. How do companies, you know, do sometimes companies feel like overwhelmed by that success? Like I, you know, decided it's like, it's fantastic because we can point to this huge success and like, Hey, that anything's possible. So it has all that upside to it and capital raising and model for how to build the company. So it's all those great things. Is there any downsides to that comparison being so present in your kind of world? I think on the whole, folks are excited about it. One, because it gives a comp, right? It gives an analog for aspirations to build something like that and that you can if you want. Two, it creates another acquirer. You don't have to be acquired by the same three health plans that were all are the only people that acquired businesses back 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot more companies now that actually have the cash, that have the market cap or the equity to absorb and acquire many, many really interesting healthcare companies. The doubt, not, I want to say the downside Glenn Tolman is an amazing person, an amazing force, and frankly, a wonderful colleague and person to work with. But he is his own uniqueness, right? Not everybody can or should be Glenn. I'm I'm not, that's for sure. And so I think that um, some businesses are set out to be built like that. When we built Transparent, which obviously is Glenn at the helm, that was set out to build an absolute moonshot. Like there was no interim stuff. But a lot of entrepreneurs, I think they build it to solve a specific problem, many of whom have their own issue with that problem, yep. right? Many of them are focused on some kind of verticalized solution for chronic <clears throat> patient management or something they've experienced. And they just want to make sure that they, you know, they take check and milestones of being a maker of their own luck, right? Master of their own destiny. That you, if you build a really compelling business and the capital that you raise is at an appropriate price that everybody would be happy with a number of different outcomes, then you can have really compelling outcomes along that journey. And you don't have to necessarily shoot for becoming the next Livongo every single time. And, and the market pressure pushes a lot of folks to that. And, and it's okay, but you've got to know what you're signing up for. Like, I think it's hard sometimes to see the forest through the trees. Right. You know, um, maybe just one one other sort of follow on from me on this, right? Um, and and you know, when you're building any business, uh, it's about people, right? I mean, sure, you can have capital investments, you know, scaling, marketing, but you know, a lot of it needs to attract the right talent. And you know, you leverage Glenn. Like, I think you probably ask almost anybody in the industry that would love to work with Glenn and you know, learn and be part of the. Um, but you know, again, right, uh, and not calling out any last six months of deals, you know, a lot of these founders, people don't know necessarily, right? And you raise and I'm picking a random number 50 mil and you're not, you don't need to build a factory. You don't need to build a supply chain, but it's really talent, marketing, you know, building out some operations. Well, guess what? Building out operations need people. So I'm kind of like looking at a lot of this back to the signing up part. How do we, how do we as a digital health uh, and health and care community, right? I mean, there's limited talent still. That's a that's a big challenge, and you're signing up for a large round to build it out, and you can't get the people. So I'm curious, as a you know, you have a portfolio number of portfolio companies. I would assume talent is like number one key component of all these fundraisers and scaling. 
Yeah, I mean, the war on talent is fierce right now. That is for sure. And I'm sure you both see it. We see it across our portfolio. And one of the biggest things too, you know, you talk about, you're right. As these companies grow and scale, you're not always working with the founder. So what's the culture that you're building? So the folks they are working with are really compelling and they are getting those lessons learned and the kind of drip culture down that same philosophy, you're still getting it, even if you're not spending every single day with the likes of Glenn. And many of our companies, I, I'll give them a lot of credit. Like they've been super intentional about it. It's been really hard in the pandemic. Like startup culture is built on this crazy energy that you get from all being in the office and like frenetically running around and like the house is on fire every day. And it's just different being virtual. But at the same time, there's a lot of benefits about a remote first environment. Our companies are now recruiting people. I mean, this is part of why the war in town is so hard. You're people like... You don't have to live in the Bay Area anymore, right? To, to, or your company doesn't yep. have to be based there to get amazing talent. And we've been saying this for a long time. Like Chicago was one of, was actually Lamongo's biggest office. We had so much talent and it was more economical for the company. And it was a great hub for a lot of people to come work. We still have the Mountain View office, we have an office here, office in Denver. I mean, it became kind of like a nice opportunity to create different hubs. Um, and expand what it meant to service, you know, different types of employees. Ultimately, yeah, it's, it is, um, it's kind of a good time to be an employee of a digital health company because there's, yep. there's a lot of capital <laughs> and they're pay up for you to come and be yeah. the team. I think those that are good are, we should, op- is keep, we keep should apply for jobs, Eugene. We should yeah. stop yeah, setting right. up companies <laughs> and go apply for jobs. <laughs> Hey, Ma- Marina, Marina hired me when I left there. So, right. you know, I, I'm uh, not sure I'm employable. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful if my to application my comes in, if my application right. comes in, at least you might ignore yeah. it. <laughs> I'm Jim, not sure Jim, I, Jim, with, with our I next. I some toddlers that are great if you guys want to want to take them. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we move into, because I'm curious, I mean, obviously, you know, we chat with Rob, uh, sync up with Lee once in a while, right? But like we just, I, I personally have not in a while. And I'd love to, before we get into the thesis, maybe I, I want to ask one other question. I saw Dina, I know she's a friend of yours and Dina Shakir, she, um, she yeah. tweeted something yesterday or today. And I love that kind of question that the job of VC, it's a fine balance between optimism and paranoia. All right. I, I loved it. Right. Because I would argue it's not only it's any decision-making role, but I think it is unique in a VC. Um, how do you look at it? I don't know if you saw her tweet or you, if you responded or not, but <laughs> curious. I did. Tina is absolutely amazing. She's She has become such an amazing friend of mine. And like, this is the crazy world of the pandemic. She and I became super close with a group of women, um, all doing the same thing, all in similar life stages remotely. Like we didn't even meet. We've probably been friends for six months before we met in person for the first time. And so it's just pretty magical to have that, those yeah. kind of opportunities. And, um, but I did, so I, I saw it and here's sort of my philosophy on venture, a couple, a couple of things. The first is um, I tend to be more of an optimist as a person. So I, I do tend to think about the world we can build versus the world that we can't. And um, ultimately, I think venture is made up of what I'll call pickers and makers, right? I'll tell you all the reasons why I think I'm a good picker. But at the end of the day, it's about being a maker. Like the, our philosophy at Seven Wire is 
healthcare is really hard and it is really, really hard to build companies. And it takes a very long time with a lot of smart people around the table. And so what can I do and we do to really become makers of our own luck and help drive growth for our companies? And that's where we really spend a lot of time. And ultimately, you know, if you think about um, the, the universe of, of optimism and paranoia, we're thematic investors. And so for us, we are very proactive. We actually look at the landscape, we look at the market, we identify the white space, and we go out and try and find the company that's solving that problem. Yep. If nobody's solving it, we'll start it. We have no problem starting a business. So it's a little bit, it, it's atypical, right? It's a, there's always a level of paranoia, a bit, and I will be curious how both of you feel like, Frankly, ideas are worth nothing. Execution is everything. So if someone else goes and does it better, shame on me, shame on us. Like we should have moved faster. We should have executed better. And so that's kind of where my paranoia sits. It's not like who's going to start something else. It's like, who's going to build something else faster and better. And let's make sure that we, we put all of our resources against being makers. Yeah. I'm completely paranoid with an optimistic exterior. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you, well you know said, you, well said. Well, very well said as usual jim joyce um so you mentioned thematic investors so maybe just uh let's spend a few minutes kind of what are you guys tracking in the market what are you looking at kind of the themes um and i uh, would love to hear that and i think the entrepreneurs that watch the show would love it too of course so uh, thank you for the question. And um, for us, we're, we're quite thoughtful about how we view the world. And the, the overarching true north for us is a thesis that we call the informed, connected health consumer. So everything that we do is all about how we can help people to become better stewards of their health and how we can think about healthcare technology and services, meeting people where they are. So at the end of the day, if someone's not getting access to their own information, connecting into the system to improve their health outcomes, it's not a fit for us. So happy to sort of double click there of interest. There are a number of sub theses, so areas that we do really like and areas that we look at. One of the biggest, verticalized solutions for chronic condition management. Obviously, Livongo falls there. Um, Another company called Zurigo for people with chronic skin conditions is there as well. Uh, we look at mental health and behavioral health. So I spent a lot of time in severe mental illness, a business called No CD. We've invested in for obsessive compulsive disorder. We did Brightline, um, which wow. is for pediatric behavioral health. We also look at vulnerable populations. So we have a number of companies that sell into managed Medicaid. Kinsei Hosano is a good example there. Uh, really focused on building a communications platform for multicultural populations. We look at women's health. Um, we're actually hatching a company in women's health right now, more for the earlier stages of a woman's journey. We look at uh, health events. So I think about um, MSK or oncology, right? We did recovery one. We did an oncology business called Jasper Health. Um, yep. Really focused on the specific maybe health things that will happen or occur in somebody's life. And then Adam is awesome, things. by the way. I, not that I, I, awesome. I just, I, I, met him years ago, years ago, years ago. So uh, I'm he sure is. all the other founders. Adam Pellegrini, the CEO of Jasper Health. He came from CBS. He lives in Idaho and lives like the best, most interesting juxtaposition of a life. He is um, a wonderful human and an incredible operator. And where we were very lucky 
uh, we actually recruited him as part of our condition of, of financing that business. And um, probably the last bucket is aging in place. So we did also hatch a business called Home Thrive, focus on supporting family caregivers for their aging loved ones. But that's a big component. There's a number of other places that we'll, we'll take deep dives in um, and we'll continue to explore. But I'd say for 22, those are kind of the main, main opportunities for us. Not, not to pander, not to pander here, but like, thank God you guys are around. <laughs> like, like there's some big problems you're tackling. You know what I mean? Like if you can make me younger, <laughs> you can get products to me in healthcare that are more consumer orientated. Like I love the whole, um, the Lavongo story. So you guys are, are, it doesn't seem like there's any shortage of ambition here. Well, thank you. Thank you. You guys are around. I mean, look, I'll say it a million times, like a broken record. It is, there are way easier, faster, better ways to make a lot of money in this world. And we're all in healthcare for a reason, right? We're mission driven. What do we want to get out of bed every morning to do? And this is what we do every day. And there are enough problems in this industry to last multiple lifetimes. And for us, we dedicated ourselves to a swim lane of really where we want to build, what we think the true North should look like. And that's where we focus. That's why we don't just buy NFTs and resell them, right? Um, which you may as well, but you know, that's uh, I, 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 I personally don't get that. I'm working on creating a really awesome NFT, guys. Just you know, awesome. We can't we can't wait of of this you know of this image. There you go. Yes, we'll, exactly. We'll, uh, How did you know it was the original shot of this? Zoom. I've been I've been cursed really? I've been cursed my whole life with not making money quickly. <laughs> Um, so before we get to Jim's, um, you know, big question as, as usual at the end, um, I, I do have one. So we talked about all the money pouring in. We talked about amazing entrepreneurs that are building stuff. Um, yet, um, again, I don't have kind of solid data uh, on it to, to talk about. But, you know, are we seeing real measurable outcomes and more so even on the, cons the health consumer perspective? is it really relieving our health burden, right? Like, are people kind of like, uh, I'm just thinking, you know, for a rewind back when I used to live in the US, like, it's kind of dreading going to Dr. Fairground, the insurance thing, this, that, right? I mean, all of that, like, are we really seeing this? And this is a question, I guess, for both of you guys, it's not just, uh, but Alyssa, if you can take a stab at it. Yeah, look, I think there's, there's probably a couple of ways to answer this. The first is, it's sort of yes and no. Um, on the no side, this is why we built Transparent. And self-insured employers were using, I think Wall Street Journal quoted on average 16 different solutions. Their costs were increasing, their outcomes weren't getting any better. We had to do something, right? We had to say, we're going to find a way to drive better consumer engagement. We're going to really help to best understand what your employees need. And we're going to go at risk. So we're truly going to roll up our sleeves and share the cost. And so when you look at things like that, the answer was no, we, had, we were a long way to go. On the other side of, um, I actually just, I wrote a piece in, in TechCrunch about this because I, uh, a lot of companies were getting frustrated, like I'm being asked to show true ROI, right? And it's really hard for an early stage business to do that. You need access to claims data, a lot of them, right? You need health actuaries to do it. I mean, it's to show the true cost reduction and particularly those, you know, I think about um, some of our, our populations 90% of them have a comorbidity. And so they're getting treatment from all different types of places. And then there's the attribution question. And so we thought about like, how do we distill it down? What does that actually mean to show 
If you aren't yet getting access to your claims data, how can you show that you're making progress? And it's really about the experience that you're driving. And you hit the nail on the head, Eugene, of saying like, I don't even want to go because of the process. And so how do you make the experience so much better than the status quo? How do you say that this is something that we genuinely are going to meet people where they are? That when you get diagnosed with cancer and you have five new doctors and it's a life-changing diagnosis and you have no idea what to do and they give you a piece of paper, right? Who, who's going to be there with you? And oh, by the way, great news. People aren't dying from cancer, but now it's becoming a chronic condition. So you're going to have this for a decade yep. that you're going to have to deal with. And so there becomes just, I think what, what digital health is doing, and we're a long way from being successful because of how complicated and complex our system is, but it is setting us on that journey that we are, we are encouraging people think about preventative healthcare. Like finally everyone's saying, oh yeah, this is a good thing. But like the, the attribution on ROI for preventative healthcare is a little bit tough, but now we're saying, okay, if we can actually get people to engage with the system, right? That they engage and the system engages back, that is a good thing. And we know that it is. And so we have to make some of these steps in order to ensure that the ROI case is then made on the back end. Yep. Jeff, well said. Yeah, well, I, I'm, my head's racing when I listen to you talk about that. Cause I, well, one is I'm just thinking about this whole idea of these conditions you know, these acute conditions um, becoming chronic, you know, long-term, like this idea of cancer being a chronic condition and the role that digital healthcare has to play, you know, in that system and the sheer complexity of that, um, the, uh, the burden of that. So um, I, I, I'm not going to spoil your answer by adding anything else to it. <laughs> it's so interesting. Like we've spent a lot of time in, um, you know, younger, uh, we're looking at kind of Gen Z women and college age women and, um, you know, they'll go seek mental health support when they're on campus and they'll basically be told they'll do one visit. It'll take five weeks to get a visit. And then they'll have one yeah. visit and they'll be told thanks, but you're not a harm to yourself or others. So we can't see you anymore. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Like these people are paying for healthcare, like 93% yeah. of health are insured. That is not okay. That is not, if that's the status quo, we surely can do much better than that. And, yeah. and that's my push is like, I want us to, to build a different world, but I also want us to recognize and understand that ROI, you know, no, no CD is a great example. Like no one was even in the claims data for OCD because it was so misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. And so they like, they had to find these people, right? Like the payers didn't know where they were. They were showing up as having depression or anxiety or substance use disorder. And like, this was in uncovering like a whole population of people that were suffering in silence. And so right. it, it's really about, I think just digital health can do a lot of things that the incumbents can't do. And the partnership opportunity becomes quite, quite exciting. Mm. No, absolutely. Listen, um, um, we're going to, I think, go to the final question that Jim Joyce asked at the end. So um, I'll, <laughs> I'll pass it on. I'll, I'll hand it off to you with the, yeah. with the big Well, I'm, I'm so excited to have uh met you here today and sorry it almost didn't happen I was <laughs> but this okay so just imagine yourself um or imagine this young talented uh female entrepreneur uh walking out of a cold Chicago office after having invented a digital health application to help chronic cancer sufferers live healthy lives for a long time 
and she's just raised a million euros from a really exciting venture fund. If you're looking at that young entrepreneur, what advice would you give her? Oh, great question. Um, so many, so many things that I'm sure you both have as well. But my, um, the one, the one thing I like to say to folks who are old enough to hear this, or this entrepreneur is, um, there's no such thing as strangers. Life is long and it's complex. And there's a lot of people in this world that can help you. And frankly, people will come back out of the woodwork if you've connected and, and maintain that relationship decades later. And somebody that you knew that, that lived down the street from you growing up could now be an executive at CVS, right? And it's just, um, just be thoughtful in your interactions. If, even if All someone it. isn't immediately helpful or immediately the right person that you're trying to get to, be thoughtful about what that person can do for the long run. Love it. Awesome. Beautiful advice. <laughs> Beautiful advice. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and we also hit a couple of new news, right? And by the way, Jim, I know you weren't on, but this is the official kickoff of season nine. So it's a listen, I got to kick it off and then you joined in. So I may switch partners on yeah. you. Um, <laughs> so totally. season nine is super successful. You're welcome. And yes. <laughs> So season cool. nine, yeah, we improved it a little bit by, yep. <laughs> by, not, by having a with, better co-host. <laughs> with that, the millions of listeners and viewers hit subscribe. If you're not subscribing, you just happen to it or pass it on. And thank you very much.